it's a massive machine at the end of the day and that's what I look at it as and that's why I'm not too bothered about the fame side of it because it's a business, you're a product, that's how you've got to look at it. And someone put it into perspective for me years ago, he just said to me, Tony, no doubt that you're an amazing singer. He said, but there's millions of amazing people. And I just thought, you know what, you're right, you're just a product. If you're lucky enough to actually get through and go on and have a successful career, there's millions of people that are just as good that don't even get a shot. Welcome to the Needlefish Podcast. I'm Jim Firth. And I'm John Harland. Each episode, we will do our best to bring practical wisdom and advice from experts in various fields. So we hope you enjoy our show. And if you do, please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Today's guest is Tony Roberts. Tony is a superstar DJ, producer, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, entrepreneur and showman. He's performed on X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, and he's also been an A&R man for Simon Cowell's production company, Psycho. He's the co-founder of Show Me Love, the leading 90s garage show in the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Welcome, Tony. What an introduction. I know, it's mental. That's pretty it? amazing. I like that. Can we record that and then I'll use that you, every listen, time I you, walk on stage? You can use it whenever you like. You Lovely. can use it whenever you like. It's great to have you here. Thanks yeah. for coming Yeah, it's today. great to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Just to start off with, clearly you've, you've had a life in music. What are your earliest memories? Uh, oh, um, so... Both of my parents are professional singers still to this day. Like My dad's 83, my mum is 80. This year she was a few months back. And ever since I can remember, I've been around music. So obviously it started with my parents. You know, dad was sort of singing around the West End. He was brought up in Hackney. And then he had singing lessons when he was a young guy. Mm. And then he sort of went into doing all of these old school theatre shows. And, you know, he's done some amazing things with some really big names back in the day. But yeah, stuff like, you know, singing in the Craze nightclub years ago. and Goodness. It's crazy, like some of the stuff, the thing I love about having older parents, because obviously I'm only 35, so my mum and dad met a bit later in life yeah. through a band, funny enough, and then they had me in... And for me, it's like having a granddad and a dad in one. Oh, fantastic. And same, same with my mum, it's, it's amazing because I get sort of double the amount of stories yeah. that most mum and dads would normally share. And I still literally speak to my dad on a daily basis and oh, come out fantastic. with something that I don't know. And it's it's just crazy. You know, he's so knowledgeable. Both of my parents are still switched on with the mm. industry and they're still helping so many young singers and stuff like that. So for me, I'd say watching my parents on stage right from being, you know, a baby in a pushchair really? to sort of they... They took me when I was a toddler. I'd sit in the, the pushchair and watch them on stage. Um, what were some of the songs that were so meaningful for you in that time? So, like, you know, my dad, where he was brought up around that time, Rat Pack and Swing era yeah. was a massive, massive thing. So he used to sing lots of different styles of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. And then also stuff like Matt Monroe. Mm. There's so many Neil Diamond. He, the thing is with both of them, because obviously they were... As they got older, they were both in function bands and stuff like that. My mum would sing everything from Connie Francis to Brenda Lee to Tina Turner, ABBA. Do you know what I mean? Like, it covered such a, a vast genre of different artists as well. For me, that's why I've become quite knowledgeable really early in my age of music. When did you start singing? I was about five, I think, when I got up on stage with my mum. And she was, she was actually doing a gig in a pub in Rochford, I think it was. And... 
as she called me up and she was singing Rockin' Robin by the Jacksons and I jumped up and started singing that with her. Fantastic. And then, uh, and then from there it was pretty mad because... The whole pub had like a big collection for me. They sent round this jug, and I ended up with about hundred and fifty <laughs> quid, which is pretty much probably more than what my mum was earning that night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's mad. What's, so, what, uh, what's interesting about your your mum and dad? And I, I, we were watching. I was watching you the other night perform, and I looked at them both, and they are so proud of you. Yeah, they are. They and are so proud. The enjoyment that you give them is just it's amazing. It's just amazing. If there's anything that they can come and watch, they will be there. Absolutely. You know I mean? like, they never ever not turn up to a gig that they can watch. And your dad's an incredibly dapper man, isn't he? He's, he's always he's so old and booted. And... Yeah, unfortunately I've let him down a little bit on that <laughs> over the last few years. Well, no, that's rubbish. Well, no, I, I did used to um I did used to wear suits and stuff for singing, but obviously as time's gone on and my career has taken me in different avenues with the style of music that I sing. You know, I wouldn't really stand up and do a club classic set wearing a suit. Whereas, don't get me wrong, I was wearing a suit for a wedding the other day. Mm. I, st- I still respect wearing a suit and stuff like that. And I think it's such a nice thing to do. And, you know, my dad must have about 200 suits in, in, in wardrobes in, in his house. He, and the problem is he still buys them all the time as well. <laughs> So like he's he's like off down Fields Brothers in Southend and it, like Westcliff he, he loves it that shop he's always in there once or twice a year he'll buy himself a couple of new suits yeah they're just so proud I mean I'm, I'm very lucky to have parents that number one gave me the platform to sort of start performing and learning my craft also they helped me vocally when I was younger my mum's a singing teacher my dad's a singing teacher not that they do it as much now but. At the time, they were teaching. My mum was teaching 30, 40 kids a week. So for me, I was learning a lot of techniques and Mm. stuff early on that's helped me now be able to perform sort of, as you guys know, for some of the nights I do in December, I could be singing sort of 20 nights in a row. And I can still pull that off because of early training. Yeah. So I don't know anybody else that that, that has that kind of... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that I know that have have had training since they were young, but with me, I was just lucky that it was there. Yeah. Did did you have training? I did, Uh, to a certain extent. You have a vocal coach? Uh, Yeah, the thing is, with your parents, it's only so far they can take you, and then you will stop listening, and you'll be like, all right, yeah, stop going on. So who taught you? What happened was, probably, I was about 17, 18, and I was sort of out in the gigging world of doing pubs and social clubs and stuff like that. The stuff that you start with when you, you know, get out and about. If you can entertain a pub crowd or a social club crowd, Mm. then you can work anywhere. With T Green, it was like I'd heard about him for a couple of my friends and we'd been to watch him sing. And he was a, an artist from, you know, he comes from, he lives in Thorpe Bay, I think it mm. is, right near the Roslyn Hotel. And he, he was in there quite a lot. He does a few gigs in there and stuff. And then we watched him at a couple of other hotels and I watched him. And I was like, wow, this guy, for a white guy, you know, his vocals are so soulful. Yeah. And you don't get that that often you get a few white males that have got that really soulful nice rich sort of black tone to their voice you know and i i've grown up listening to all the greatest black singers do you know what i mean like luther vandross barry white lionel richie stevie wonder these were all my idols and when i heard t green i was like wow there's so much quality to his vocal i heard that he was a vocal coach so i thought do you know what i'm gonna have a chat with him and speak to him about it because at the time 
I'd stopped sort of listening to my parents. They gave me the foundations of being able to sing. You know, they obviously passed on the talent through genetics and I sort of learnt the basics of breathing and all stuff like that with my parents. But then I'd got to a level where I was doing sort of three or four gigs a week and I was getting the odd sore throat. I approached T and I just said, look, you know, I really want to get a bit more understanding about how the vocal works because I heard that he was more of a voice doctor. Mm. As in the fact that he had taught at Sony, he had taught at Universal, he'd, he'd worked with people like Aerosmith, Justin Timberlake. He'd, wow. He's trained. Names, he's trained some amazing superstars. There, there's a story that he used to fly out to New York once a week. It's to, quite true. It's yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah, he, he would get phone calls from artists that were in a bad way. They were on tour, mm. and they were like, "I can hardly talk. I need some sort of help." So he would fly out to places, and he would coach them through it. It's not just about the technique of it's it's how he was telling you to look after it, you know. Mm. It's so much involved, even down to reflexology as well. He's very up on that side of things. Different muscles being connected in your hand to actually connected in your throat, stuff like that. So many different meditation things that I did with him. Like I say, if I was stuck in traffic on my way to his house, I would get there and I'd be a bit stressed. So I'd literally spend about 20 minutes just sort of relaxing down. Relaxation really. techniques. Yeah, ready like ready to actually start the lesson with him. Mm. And he taught me so much about that side of the voice and how to look after it, how to warm it up mm. properly, how to warm it down as well after a gig. A lot of singers, they'll do a whole night of singing and then they'll just have a few drinks afterwards. They'll go home and then they just won't even think about it. Whereas most professional it's an instrument, isn't oh, it? It is, and it's a muscle as well. So you've yeah. constantly got to, just like you would if you was down a gym, you'd warm it up and then you'd warm it down afterwards. You'd mm. stretch out. So certain techniques he taught me like that gave me longevity in my voice. And, and how just, old were you when you were having lessons? When from, I started going tea? to him, I was probably about 18, 19. Yeah. Through to I was about 20. Gosh, so um, a considerable time then. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was really helping me. Like, he he pushed me to some limits that I'd never taken my voice to before. So you heard a complete difference in yeah, from when you started? Yeah, because to... the thing is with him is he was, he was helping me explore different avenues with my voice. And I obviously I told him what sort of music I was into, what I was doing. And at the time, I was more of a soulful singer. I would sing big songs. I'd sing big ballads all the time. People knew me around Essex for powering out massive songs. And I don't really do that as much anymore. I mean, obviously I was with you guys the other night and I did get to sing a few nice ballads and stuff like that, but he was just helping me on that level. He was helping me what to eat, what to drink, all this stuff that's involved in the night of your performance. At the time, I was drinking cold bottles of water when I was singing. And obviously the best way that he explained that to me was, he said, the reason why you're getting a sore throat and your throat's tightening up is because if you jumped into an ice pool of water what would your body do straight away it it shocks itself yeah so he said every time you pour an ice cold glass of water or a bottle of water down your throat your vocal cords are shriveling up up. yeah Yeah. and it straight away it it hits that nerve and you're like oh my god i've been doing this all this time and one little thing like that just changing what i was drinking and eating and you know i started drinking a lot of sort of lemon ginger and honey that was amazing anytime i'm ill now all i do is i just drink lemon ginger and honey and I've been able to sing through any illness I've ever had. Just learning basic stuff from, from T, he's an amazing coach. I mean, he's based in Fort Bay, so anyone, I suppose, in the South End area that's looking for some vocal coaching. He is very busy, though. He's always off on tour with different artists and stuff yeah. like that. So, no, he's, he's, he's brilliant. And What, I, what I still advice would you give a young person who is 
starting their, their journey as a vocalist? With a young person, they are still finding their feet with their confidence. What I went through with T was I was looking for something to take me further in the professional level mm. rather than sort of him sitting there teaching me the basics of everything and making it fun as well. You know, if you've got a 10-year-old kid and you're trying to get their attention, say, right, you need to relax, you need to do this, you can't do that with them. You've got to make it fun. I mean, I've, I've done vocal coaching myself from stuff that I've learned from T from my mum and dad. I've taught at various stage schools and theatre schools and I've helped out with all different types of schools and, and children. And at the end of the day, you've got to make that side of it fun for them first. Mm. Once they get their confidence, once they find their feet, then they will start just naturally opening up. Do you know what I mean? And they'll push a little bit harder. It's mainly a confidence thing first with kids. And then once you're 15, 16, 17, you're sort moving into that next area where you want to... Is that to, what you did? Yeah. It's your way, well, obviously, you come out of school and you're like, what, what am I going to do? I was going to ask you, I mean, when did you first decide <clears throat> this is the, this is it? I'm I always knew what is I was going to do. Is that what I thought do. so? Yeah, yeah, because it's something my dad said to me years ago when I was younger and he just said to me, like, son, you, he said, with the talent that you've got, he said, you'll always be able to earn money. Like, always. He said, whether you're singing for £2,000 in Dubai for the night or whether you need to earn £100 to pay your electric bill that week, your talent allows you to do that. Mm. And obviously, up until a global pandemic happened last year, mm. that's, that's always been my method. And don't get me wrong, you know, like I said, I've worked for some of the, the richest people in the world and it's been amazing. But there has been times where, you know, where I was coming up in the industry and I had to go and sing for 80 quid for three hours somewhere because can, I needed to pay that bill. You just do what you've got to do. So on that subject, early mm. part of your career, can we go rewind? I mean, I remember seeing you, obviously, with To Dream. Yeah. So how did that? How yeah. did that? I never really understood how that came about so, as a duo. Yeah. So what happened was Abby, which was the, the female singer in the group, I think she came along to uh, one of my dad's talent shows because my mum and dad have always run talent shows in yeah. Essex. Thirty-five, forty years they've been doing it. Like my dad was one of the first people to do it in Essex. Mm. Same as open mic nights as well, which is where we sort of encourage young singers to come along and older singers as well. You know, we had people at seventy years old that didn't want to sing professionally; they just wanted to come and entertain people on a Sunday afternoon by doing a couple of songs. So we had all different types of singers, all different abilities, all different ages, and. That's how we met Abby, and she sort of come in, and she was very glamorous, and she had a beautiful voice. Mm. I think we ended up doing a duet together, because we would do stuff like that when we were younger. Obviously, karaoke wasn't, you know, it was quite a hard thing. You couldn't, now you can just go, what song do you want to sing? And you can go straight on your laptop and bring it up for anyone. But obviously, back then, you'd had tracks and mini discs and CDs and stuff like that. So, say like we both said, oh, let's do Endless Love together, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Because we did sing that one quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, I remember. So, you know, we probably come together at the time, which I remember, and did a duet at one of the open mic nights. And then from there, it was like, oh, you guys sound really amazing together. Mm. You should do something. And because we were both young and hungry to get out there, we were like, oh, this is cool. And speaking to other people that are in the industry that are solo singers, and even now I say it now, you know, you suffer with a lot of anxiety. Mm. You suffer with just being on your own. It's quite, it's quite a lonely place sometimes. Mm. And when you're coming up in the industry and you're doing pubs and social clubs and you get the odd drunk at a bar that says something to you that really hurts your feelings... Knocks your confidence. It can massively knock yeah. your confidence. Yeah. And I've, I mean, one thing I've, I've always struggled with is my weight. I've, I've been up and down three or four times 
that was one thing that used to touch a nerve with me mm. and and or just someone quite openly saying you're rubbish or something like that because mm. there are some stupid people that will just come out with things like that just uh, even more so on, on social media as well now I that's guess. that is a whole different ball game now yeah. that is sort of the levels of trolling that people go to mm. and unfortunately i get i see that a lot with friends of mine that are famous and they're in the public eye i see a lot of people unfortunately getting trolled it's a lot horrendous. it is horrendous but i mean with with abby she was just such a good singer and it was just like let's get something off the ground and and then we started going out doing gigs together and it was very really successfully good. Yeah, because we yeah. were both together and it was just nice. You know, we got on so well. We were both together. We wasn't lonely. You know, it was a good laugh having banter with someone else on stage. Yeah. And we sort of covered all bases of ages, yeah. of, of songs. And genres. Genres as yeah. well. So what was the catalyst that, that made you split? I mean, I know I can remember back. Yeah, I, th- I think we were just at different stages yeah. in our life. It's like a relationship sort of thing. I mean, we were really good friends. Nothing ever, you know, love involved or anything like that. We were just really good mates. And Abby was, I think she's a year or two years older than me. And we just had different avenues that we wanted to explore. Mm. She started a Motown show with two other girls, which was really successful. And I sort of went more into my DJ side of things, producing music, doing the club classics, the house, the garage, all stuff that our age group is into. So I'd say that was the sort of we didn't fall out in any way. You know, we we was we were still good friends. Yeah. But uh, naturally, as you you stop working together, you do become farther apart. And then she had a family, and you know she ended up getting married and stuff like that. So that's the other thing as well. You know, you have different commitments that come into life, and it takes over. You know, like marriage and having a kid and you know since I've had a little kid uh, it, it's changed my life you know what I yeah. mean and, mm. and it's really sort of changed the way I do things as well yeah. because I've now got someone else to think about and so that's a life changer at the end of the day yeah. but no she, she still does her singing and stuff yeah. and I always see each other every now and again or I see my mum and dad mm. and uh, no they're lovely people I'll always respect them So I remember going back uh, again your X Factor journey. Yeah. Yeah. And you performed at the auditions. And Simon Cowell, I remember you saying, and I remember him coming up to you personally, giving you his absolute seal of approval. Yeah. So what happened at boot camp? The problem is, at the time when I did that, it was 2006. Was it? Yeah. Gosh. It was the year Leona Lewis won it. And actually what happened, it was a little bit more, you know, involved. We actually went on it as a duo, me and Abby. Oh, did you? Yeah. And what happened was... Because obviously you've got to think, this is a talent show, but at the same time it's still a TV show, so they love a bit of drama. Mm. And myself and Abby went on there and we sang a song together and I just felt like something was going to go wrong. And all of a sudden, Simon went, I really loved it. He went, but I really like you and I don't know if I would take you through. And he said it, and that pointed at Abby. Gosh. How did that make you feel? So straight away it was really hard because I thought, oh, this is amazing, we can get to the next level. But then I felt terrible for Abby because yeah. I didn't... Mm. And they were like, well, that's not... You know, the other judges, they have always have a little argument, so that's not fair, Simon. They're both amazing and we've both got different styles and doing it together is what made it a really nice act. So it was like, look, I think the only way that I'd take you both through is if you'd split apart. So I was like, oh, my word, like, what is happening... It's the worst position you want yeah. to be in. So you weren't expecting this in any way, not, shape or no form? No way, shape or form. So we're standing there and all of a sudden, 
Abby, like, you know, she's in tears. I'm getting upset because I'm thinking I'm standing here with my best mate mm. and all of a sudden this is going to drive a massive partition between us. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously her dad was with us at the audition. He was very against us splitting up mm. to go forward. But I just said, look, Wayne, at the end of the day, we've just got to go with it. We don't know what's going to happen. And so we ended up going through as separate to boot camp. And then they sort of went, they was going to make a little story out of it and they did a lot of filming with us and stuff. And then in the end, I think they, they sort of knew who they wanted over the over the next course of the, the week. And I actually got down to the last 14 people in Simon Cowell's group. And I was with Leona Lewis, I was with Ray Quinn. But Ray Quinn was someone that had been on TV a few times, so he was known by the producers. Right. You know, they knew how bubbly he was. They yeah. knew that he was a good act. And at the end of the day, it's not just about singing. It's about the whole package. Mm. You know, it's, they they need to put their faith into someone that's going to go on that stage every week. And give deliver. It their, give it their 110%, deliver a good show. And you've got to be careful with, with young people because it's a lot of filming. You're filming constantly from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. It's a lot of pressure on a young person's shoulders. And we've seen that over the last few years with people I've scouted for the shows it's really messed with their heads because you've got to be really strong to take on this, not just about getting up and singing. So, yeah, we got down to the last sort of bit and, and unfortunately Abby didn't get through to the last stage that I was at. But by then I sort of had a good idea that I wasn't going to get through. And Simon Cowell come up to me and he said to me... How did you know you, you had a good idea that you weren't going to get through? What was what were the signals to you? I could just feel it. I could just feel that I wasn't... The thing is with me, I work out things really well. Like I'm, I'm very observant... Mm. And straight away, you can see if someone's being filmed a lot more than you are, you know that they're liking that person more or they're doing okay. stuff or they've got that person in their sights. Yep. So I just felt that it wasn't going to go any further. And then, you know, I was right. He come up to me and he was sort of like, you've got an amazing voice, but you need to go away and lose like four stone and come back. You're joking. No, he just said you're not. He said you don't look like a pop star. And unfortunately, at, in 2006, every pop star looked like a magazine model mm-hmm. and they did and it was only when people like Adele come on the scene and people like Rag and Bone Man yeah. and bigger artists you know don't get me wrong there was always bigger artists like Luther was big yeah. um, Barry, Barry White, White was big Barry White yeah. yeah but they were American superstars it was different when you're trying to break into the industry in the UK mm-hmm. you, you've got to think of it as a you know it's a massive machine at the end of the day and that's what I look at it as and that's why I'm not too bothered about the fame side of it because it's a business, you're a product, that's how you've got to look at it. And someone put it into perspective for me years ago, he just said to me, Tony, no doubt that you're an amazing singer, but there's millions of amazing people. And I just thought, you know what, you're right, you're just a product. If you're lucky enough to actually get through and go on and have a successful career, there's millions of people that are just as good that don't even get a shot Mm. or they don't even get featured on anything. Mm. So... I sort of just found a level that I was comfortable at and I moved in my own lane. Yeah, because I would imagine, and this is, that what you do now, if you had to become a product or famous, you wouldn't be able to do that. Wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be the same. And for me, it wouldn't be the same either because what I do now is I get to create amazing nights for people Mm. where they reminisce with songs that was so big to them at one point. Because music, let's face it, music is the most powerful thing ever. Like it moves you, emotion, doesn't it? You can hear a song and that will transport you back to a memory from 30 100%. years ago or something from your childhood. You know, I had this a lot last year in lockdown. I suffered quite bad 
with a bit of mental health, but it's the first time it's ever affected me in my life. Mm. Uh, and because of the amount of work that I'd lost, the level that I'd built myself up to over the last 15 years was a really, really decent level. And it wasn't famous. Like, I didn't want to be famous. It was just, I was quite well known in, in Essex where I live, but it was more the fact of building a stable home for my family. Yeah building a foundation and and now I've got a son it was all about that you know it was a bit about building the level where I knew that for the next five or ten years I'm going to be at a successful level and I think when you are a self-employed person you've got to be switched on you've got to be like well I, I need to know what's coming in the next six months to a year because you've got a budget every yeah. every month you've got a budget because 2020 was the year wasn't it yeah and as you as you guys know it was it was leaps and bounds for yeah. my career. That that would have been amazing year, you know, yeah. not just with the amazing venues that I work at uh, around Essex. You know, it, it, it was just international, wasn't it? Yeah, international. Yeah, it was you know eighteen, nineteen jobs abroad, and yeah. and yeah, it was just it was just mad, really. But I just think everything happens in life for a reason. We all take different avenues, and we all take different steps. And for me, X Factor was was actually a good thing because even though I was really upset about it at the time, it opened so many doors for me. Mm. Not sort of in the limelight, but behind the scenes. Because now I actually work with Simon Cowell's company yeah, and, you know, other labels and... What was that, what was that show? You, you did a show. Was it for Psycho? Where you, it, was after, it was an after-show kind of party i can't remember what it was yeah that was for the boss of itv oh that's so, right yeah yeah so that was another so after uh, x factor i did try again in 2011 i tried again and i had an amazing opportunity and it all the judges stood up i had a standing ovation but unfortunately i didn't get put in the editing of the footage so again it was sort of like oh this is not meant to be like i'm doing really well in all the auditions but they're just not my face don't fit sort of thing. Yeah. So then they rang me back in 2012 and they were like, we've got Britain's Got Talent. We think you'd really do well on that. Instead of X Factor, would you be interested? Because obviously what I do now is I am a talent scout for these shows. So we had people at that time that were doing the same job. You know, it's not a form of cheating with them. It's, it's the fact of, you know, so many people were walking off the street, but you've also got a guarantee that you're going to have some people... Decent, that, decent, decent people, people who can sing and dance. Because at the end of the day, yeah, they are making a TV show mm. and you get a lot of people turning up in fox suits, people that actually are <laughs> mad, and they, they yeah. and they turn up in suits of armour and stuff and just be silly because they know... <laughs> They also know that, that they will feature some of that as well because it's it's the whole thing, isn't it? It's a TV show and it's it's got to be some fun factor to it. So I went for this Britain's Got Talent audition, done really well, and went through to the judges. And again, just before I was about to sing, I just had a bad feeling that they come over and they said, oh, can you change your song? And I was like, no. What, were you, what were you singing and what did they I change I think I was going to sing Breathe Easy by Blue, right. which was a big song for me at the time. And they were like, oh, can you change the song? And then you might get stopped, which I'm thinking, that's a bit weird. You might get asked for another song. So in the end, there was a bit of a to and fro, and I've gone out there, and lo and behold, Simon stopped me, and he was just like, you know, I'm not really feeling that song. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Mm. I've now got to have a bit of an argument with Simon Cowell over this song. But David Walliams was actually encouraging Yeah, I mean, obviously... The thing is as well, the way that it's edited is not always the way things go down. And I was actually singing a different song. So the clip of me on Britain's Got Talent when he stopped me was actually a different song that I was singing. So anyway, 
it was like a bit of to and fro in, you know, I just said, look, I've got another song, you know, let, let's do it. And, you know, as I said to you, it's, it is all about TV shows. So there's a lot of acting in it because it's two different shows as well. You can't really have a crossover between X Factor and Brit's Got Talent. So even though he knew who I was to a certain extent, I couldn't really mention that I'd been on X Factor because yeah. it's a different show. Of course. And it's mm. just continuity and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, went on there and it went really well and ended up getting through. And then I just didn't make it any further. I got pipped to the post by a couple of other people on the live shows. But I just knew that there was going to be a TV opportunity coming up. And I just thought this was the start of social media. It was the start of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. It was the start of Instagram. And at the time, a lot of my friends were on TOWIE and stuff like that. So I had about three or four mates that were on the show TOWIE. Who were they? Uh, Amy Childs. Arge. Arge. Yeah, Arge is a good friend of mine. Obviously, Harry's Amy's cousin. People like Mark Wright and all that that were on there. So I thought to myself, if I get on TV, this is going to be a good thing because they're all going to tweet me as well. Yeah. So I sort of knew in the back of my head, whatever happens, it doesn't matter if you go for or not, you're going to build a platform off of this. Mm. And that was exactly what I went yeah. for. So it got aired. Like I was actually at Star City in Birmingham, at oh, Genting, yeah. And uh, I was doing a gig with Arge up there. And... I got a call saying, oh, you're going to be aired this Saturday night. So it went out, and it wasn't the way that it completely happened, but at the same time, it didn't make me look bad in any way. I was happy with it. I was happy. But the way that I still explain it to people now, when I'm scouting people for shows, I will always say to them, if you're a nice person and you're not an idiot on camera and you sing good, there's no way you could ever look bad, mm. which mm. is true. Mm. So it's a, at the end of the day, it's a platform. It's really good advice. Mm. And it, you know, it's just so interesting digging, digging behind the scenes of what actually it goes is. on in these yeah. talent shows. Because, yeah. you, you know, we watch the shows, we enjoy the shows. Yeah. We've got an idea that... Yeah. Stuff goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, talent shows now, I mean, have they had their day? Next fact is finished, isn't it? Yes, it's not It's not rolling anymore. Well, it's got talent still going. Yeah. Now, with a lot of artists, there's a lot of young artists that are out there that write their own music. Yeah. It's a lot easier to actually get your stuff out on platforms. So yeah. you've got DistroKid, you've got other sort of TuneCore, which are all these sort of distribution companies that you can now sign up to. You could write a song, you could produce it yourself, and you could release it on that platform and it will go onto itunes it'll go onto apple music spotify and you could just get someone that's a playlist editor on spotify that will pick that song up and then they would just put it into a big playlist yeah and then it will go massive or you know if you've got a bit of following behind you then that's the same sort of thing Mm. it sort of helps you out but a lot of young artists now that's why I say to them, go on there, use it as a platform. If you if you look good, like if you look good, you sound good, and you're not an idiot, mm. there's no way you can ever look bad. And so, that's what you got to think of. And people that go on there and start spouting their mouth off at the judges, and you can look terrible on there, which mm. I know a few people have done. Do you know what I mean? So it's been amazing seeing how the platform works. And for me, it really worked because. All of my friends that were on Towie, they sort of gave me a push, and they were like, "Oh, well done, Tony." Mm. Blah blah. blah. Mm. And uh, within about two days, I gained like 30,000 followers. It was mental. Yeah. And then from there, gigs were coming out of the woodwork and my money went up and just all of these things, really. And it was just that platform for me catapulted me into a different level Mm. of where I was working and what I was doing. I wasn't doing the local pubs anymore. I was doing casinos and I was doing hotels and I was doing big things like butlins and all of them sort of things. And it was just like it was a different level of work. Then I started doing a lot of weddings and stuff like that. It's something I've carried on with now over the last 10 years. Yeah, because with weddings, I mean, you are the complete and utter 
number not, one package. It is sort of like that. It's, it, it is. Yeah, so what I was saying earlier about being a niche product, it was like there's singers out there that are similar to me and, you know, you'll always get people that will come and watch what you do and they sort of know if it works for someone, then they think, oh, it will work for me. But you are the full package, so you're not just a vocalist. Like, you know, I'll go back to the, the introduction, multi-instrumentalist, yeah. you play numerous instruments, you DJ... Yep. You produce. I've tried to I've tried to cover all bases, like yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, you know, rewinding back to my childhood, my mum, she was amazing. She took me for piano lessons, she took me for guitar lessons. And to be honest with you, I didn't really get on with it. I was one of them sort of people that How I, old were you when you started learning? About piano I was guitar. about ten, right. something like that. But the thing was with me is I, I had a better ear for it than I could actually you know, I've never been the brightest spark in the box. I've never been one of these people that's really clever or academic. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've got the ear for music mm. rather than learning how to read music. I yeah. can listen to a piece of music and I can pretty much have that down within about five, ten minutes max. Mm. I could probably play the whole song back because it is just a formation of chords replayed and, and then just changed about for different parts of the song. Mm. And when you break it down and understand it, it's not as hard as what people think it is. Like playing guitar, that was a bit different because learning how to hold the guitar, learning how to hold the strings, your fingers, you know, when you're first starting to play the guitar, your fingers are all soft, obviously, and then where you're constantly pressing on the strings, all of a sudden your fingers start hardening up and that really hurts your fingers after a while. So it's like a, a gradual process of learning the guitar. It takes years to sort of learning it and, and sort of playing about with, with it and stuff. So, yeah, I just started jumping on different instruments. I really wanted a drum kit and my mum was like, no, like you can't have a drum kit. I'm not surprised. It's like, no way, it's going to be too loud and stuff. So, um, so you never played the drums? I didn't play the drums until I went to secondary school. And ah. I actually, you know, where I'm from in Basildon, I started the senior school that I went to. And then, funny enough, do you remember Georgie Swan, John? Yeah. yeah. So Georgie was a local singer, really, really great singer. He's actually wrote a lot of big songs for artists and stuff like that. But he was at Billericay School and there was a music teacher there and he really pushed the music like they had a recording studio they had a hundred piece junior studio orchestra and every year they went on to blue peter to perform it was something they did for about 10 years so he seen me sing at the uh belvedere years ago where, where my mum and dad was running mm. a talent show and georgie was in the talent show mm. and so he walked up to my mum and dad he's, he's like oh what school does tony go to so mum was like oh he goes to Chalvin and he was like oh can you not try and get him into billericay school because we've got this amazing orchestra, he'll love it. We've got all rehearsal rooms with all the instruments. And we've got, you know, we go on Blue Peter once a year and sing. <laughs> so uh, she really fought hard and she managed to get me into that school. So the, by the end of year seven, I was at Billericay School. And every day I would be in practice rooms playing with different, different instruments, from drums to guitars to you know, saxophone. I was just picking up all different things and just seeing what I could do with it. Were you exposed to recording equipment then? Yeah, it was a full-on, like, £100,000 recording studio wow. in there. So we could have lessons on that side of things. Um, Sounds like a pretty cool school. It, was yeah. amazing. it still is there. I mean, it's still all there now. And the thing with the Blue Peter, it was like there was four different singers in each group. There was two groups of us. So there was a junior group, which mm. I was in, and I was one of the lead singers. And then Georgie was one of the, yeah. the lead singers in the senior group. And then we'd go on to 
Blue Peter and actually sing and perform, and I actually had to. There's only footage of you on. There is, is there? Yeah, yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, really bad. I look terrible. <laughs> I've got to ask: Did you get a badge? <laughs> I did get a badge. You got a badge, mm. and I got yeah, nice. to. Uh, I've I've used it all around London, to be honest. What I, the badge? I, yeah, I cannot find it <laughs> for the last sort of eight years. I don't know where that where it's gone. Oh, but. I had a good sort of money's worth out of it. It, was, um, <laughs> it. it probably is worth a lot of money, but it's. Um, but yeah, I went all over. Like we went to all the different London dungeons and all of the Madden Two sorts. Because there's a, you get a whole book as well. When you get a Blue Peter badge, you get a book of attractions that you can go to for free. For free, that's yeah. outrageous. Oh, it's unbelievable. It can get you in everywhere, like pretty much. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's mad. It's Blue like that, it's Peter, like, the VIP yeah, it's like that gold bar. It, it's like that. Uh, it's like that Nando's black card that everyone wants. It's like, it, at the time, that was that was the thing to have. Do you know what I mean? And we got one, and it was amazing. So yeah, I just sort of from there. All different instruments. Started writing songs, and as, as I got older, just it become part of me. Coming back to weddings, I just thought to myself, you know what? People can pay up to ten thousand pounds for a day's worth of entertainment at a yeah. wedding. So I was thinking to myself, well, look, I could play guitar and sing in a ceremony. Yeah. I could play piano and sing in a ceremony. I could play a sax set in the drinks reception, yeah. and then I can sing and DJ at night because Amazing. DJing was something else that I took up from like twelve years old. I was just beat matching with records, and then I got older some decks. What did you get? The Technics, Technic twelve tens. Yeah, I managed yeah. to get a set of them. I saved up all my pennies when my dad was doing the open mic nights. I would sit there at like 12 years old with a massive mixing desk. I thought you did the Colesborough, sound. Colesborough mixing desk. So you were the sound man for your dad. I literally yeah. learned how to do the sound like that. Just all the different faders and everything. So my dad would pay me, like, he used to pay me really well. He used to pay me like 50 <laughs> quid a week. And, um, That's good. I'd go, but I'd go straight down to Martin's and I'd get the top 40 singles on CD and stuff like that. I must have thousands of CDs and records in my mum and dad's house right. up in the loft somewhere. But that's how I learnt to DJ, really, from doing that as well. How did you learn to mix? Well, the maddest thing is I had two CD players that had no pitch control. That's how I learnt to use my ear for music because I was picking out songs that were the same BPM, but I was doing it by ear. Wow. And then I was just starting them at the right time and fading them in together. And when I think about it now, it's actually crazy, like, how I did that. But it actually really helped me because rhythm and stuff like that is something I'm really switched on with now and it helps me with my producing skills yeah. now. How do you define a music producer? Well, the thing is, this day and age, there's so many people that say they're producers yeah. and they don't even touch the computer. So what is a producer then? There's producers on so many levels. It depends how productive you are as a person, doesn't right, it? You, yeah. could pro you could produce a show, you know, which is something I do with Show Me Love. I produce the show. I work out how it's going to run. I put all the elements in the right place. You know, the music is all timed as the night's going through. We change different genres and... Mm. You know, we pick the high parts and the low parts of the night and just to how to structure everything, really. And But there's so many different ways to produce stuff, you know, and there's obviously you've got different people that produce, you know, musical shows like you, John, what you're involved with and stuff like that. And it's it's amazing on so many levels how people are productive mm. in that way. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, there's DJs that I know that say they're a DJ and producer to a certain extent. For me, a producer that works in a studio is someone that makes the music right. and starts it from scratch, lays that beat down, lays the melody down, lays the chord down, everything. And so then, you use like a sequences to do that? No, I play it all in. Per yeah. Personally, I play it. I've got a lot of friends that are producers and they've, they've had successful hits, a few of my friends, and they can't even play piano. They just can program. So... 
there's so many different types of producer now as well. Mm. So you've got a lot of the, the fresh up-and-coming talent that are whiz kids on computers, and they can just copy and paste. They'll put a chord sequence in, copy and paste, do something, move it around, move the chords around. I'm a bit more of an old-school producer, so I prefer to play the piano part that I'm playing or play the, the melody that I'm playing because, for me, I feel like it gives it more feeling more rather than just being, yeah. you know, straight off the back. There's so many different levels. Like uh, There's people now that are famous producers and DJs and they don't even make their own music. There's teams of people behind these people that are paid a decent amount of money to actually produce these songs. But like I said, it all comes back to if your face fits. You know, yeah. I know I've got mates of mine that are famous DJs that look amazing and they can DJ really well. They just can't make music. So they know what they want to hear. So I suppose, to a certain extent, they are creatively knowing what they want to do, mm. but actually going to a computer and making it is mm. something different. There's an area that you touched on there that I've always uh, thought that would have been an area that you could have developed, but there's so much you do, is the musical theatre. Yeah. I, I mean, lo- you did, you have done music. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Like, I've, ever since I was like 12, 12 years old, I think I was in Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of theatre productions over the years. We did Wizard of Oz, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and I've done, you know, I've done quite a few different shows, Oliver and stuff like that. And I love musical theatre. Don't get me wrong, I love watching it. I go and watch musical theatre shows all the time. What was the um, last one you went to see? The last one I went to see was um, Hairspray. Oh, and wow. that was about, what was that? I took my wife about a month ago to see that. Mm. Because where I've been so busy getting back to work, I've sort of you, you're like ships in the night, you're passing all the time. So I just thought it'd be nice to take her out. And we've been saying about seeing that show for a good couple of years now, and it come off of the West End for a mm. while, so we, we missed it. And then when it come back the other week, I was like, we've got to go and see that. So I took her down to see that bit. It was amazing. But I love watching shows in the West End. I love the technology of the stages and, you know, especially like with Mary Poppins. And stuff. Have you seen that yet? The new yeah. Mary Poppins? Yeah. How they do that that scene with her bag where it opens and they're taking stuff out of this bag. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The amount of technology that they've got now and the way that the stages all move and it's all remote control, but it knows exactly where the right place is to go. It's so clever. Well, I mean, Mary Poppins flying now. I mean, 20, oh. 30 years ago, you'd have seen the string. Yeah. But now, you, can't even you see can't it. see anything. It's, it is it's amazing. Extraordinary, Same yeah. with the Aladdin thing as well, where well, they went on the ma- magic carpet. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. But I've, I just think that's one side of it. But just the singers as well, they're amazing, you know. I, and that's a whole different ball game of, of singing as well, musical theatre. I've always found that if you are a pop singer, you can adapt easily to musical theatre and opera style rather than an opera singer trying to be a pop singer. That's really hard. Pop singers slang a lot of stuff and they sort of bend their voice in different... Whereas with opera, opera and stuff, you, you've you've sang straight for that long, trying to come back over. Whereas with, with pop singers, we always seem to adapt a bit more. Mm. So, yeah, I, I love singing musical theatre stuff when I get the chance. Yeah. I love um, hearing you sing music. Yeah, I love well. it. Used to love a bit of "This Is the Moment," didn't I? Yeah. From Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, yeah that was one of my favourites. Yeah, I, used to I, do. I just always felt that there was a oh, it would have been a, an amazing journey to go down that route for you as well. It would have been, yeah. I mean, but it, I mean, you do so much, so it's yeah, very that's, that's the hard thing. It's it's like I've sort of split myself in so many areas yeah. to just to sort of keep relevant and keep busy. I mean, for me, I love what I do in all aspects of music. Like, mm. when it comes to music, that is my life. You know, it's always been my life. It will always be my life. It's just something that I love, but 
all different aspects of it, whether it was musical theatre, whether it was dance music that I love, you know, I produce a lot of that, or whether it's singing Stevie Wonder, like mm. we was the other night at the casino. It's mm. just, I love all different aspects of music. Mm. And it, like I said, music is timeless. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the songs that are written and produced this day and age, they're sort of songs that they'll last for about sort of six months to a year and then they just, they're gone. But mm. the, the old songs are the ones that, that carry on and mm. and some of the old ones are then the most amazing songs you know at the end of the day it's a business like i said it comes back to that that thing of it is a money-making business and as you see a lot of the young artists at the moment they're all recycling old songs yeah yeah so it shows you how good the old songs are for them to keep bringing them back is that how i mean in a way you, you go back to the old songs in them but is that how show me love Develop because of the genre. Show Me Love was literally like um, a night that we'd put on in the local beer garden at the Keys oh, yeah. um, in Basildon. And Judy was like, oh, would you like to do a, a DJ night here? And I was like, yeah. I said, I reckon a few people would come to that, you know. And it, we were sort of specialising in the R&B and club classics, history area and all that sort of 90s stuff. And with a bit of garage as well. Everyone loves a bit of 90s and garage. Of course, yeah. of course. It's just that, yeah. that thing that I've had it, you know, a lot of the weddings I do now, even a lot of the parents and all of that, they They're still have a dance to it. They love it. So, you know, there's, there's, t- there's times, there's songs there that are still now 25 years old that's timeless, that are still good songs and people remember them. Yeah, so we literally got a little sound system and a pair of decks down there and... She had an amazing outside space at the Keys. It was so cool. It was like a, a big river behind you. When and was this? This was like, going, we're going back, it must be six years ago. It must be six years. 2014, 15, something like that. Mm. So I just went out and I DJed this night and I did a little bit of singing. And about 200 people turned up. It was actually quite good. And I was like, wow, what an atmosphere. It was brilliant. It was so good because it was all outside and we had good weather and it was brilliant. So it had a festival feel. It was like it. a festival feel, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'd sang on a few festivals coming up through my career and it was like, the atmospheres are amazing. So I just thought to myself, do you know what? We've got something here yeah. and it's got legs. So let's put let's book another one in. I said to her, let's, let's do it again. So we put another one in and all of a sudden like 800 people turned up. Gosh. And it was like, wow. We're like, using socials as well to, to yeah, sort it. of, yeah, yeah. We were, we were sort of like, you know, but it was not called Show Me Love at the time. It was just like, who fancies another like Club Classics garage yeah. night or whatever? <laughs> Back to the old school or whatever we was we were saying at the time. So yeah, eight hundred people turned up. It was like, wow, this is mental. So then I brought in my mate Dan Rostami at the time, and and he was like a backup DJ because it was a lot of, it was a long time to DJ throughout the night. And our other friend Jay Shepherd, yeah. who, you know, still DJs with me to this day. And I just thought, you know what, this has got legs to be a proper business. And I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it, but with me, I'm good at what I do, but the business side of it it always comes second. Mm. So I brought in my best mate who's who's a local businessman, he's an agent and he's an amazing singer himself, Lewis Simmons. And uh, and I just said, look would we, would we think about this this thing? And he was like, well, it looks like a bit of a monster you've created. And he was like, right, he said, I think we should charge a fiver to get into the next one. And I went, what? I said, you can't charge that. I said, you can't charge, they won't come. He went, they'll come, trust me. They, they, they come for you because they love you. He said, we'll put a fiver on it. So <laughs> it come round and we had like 1,200 people turn up and it was mental. And then we were thinking about it and we are thinking, you know, the atmosphere of it, because for me, like I said, 
you know, when you've sang in pubs all your life, you just want to feel wanted. That's the thing with singing. You want to get to a level that where people come there and they appreciate what you do yeah. and they're not just sitting in there having a pint. They've come for you. It's respect and everything else. Exactly. Do, yeah. And that's the whole thing that I've ever wanted to create was that, just yeah. that respect. So I knew that with this brand... I could go out and sing songs and it was I tested it all the way along. Every every event we tested more and more and I was just testing the water and I'd go out and I'd sing, you know, a massive garage song or a massive club classic and people would be giving me the reaction that they would give to famous people that I'd mm. seen. So I just thought to myself, Do you know what? I've got the best of both worlds here because I'm not I'm, I've not got people stopping me in the street, but I can get that same feeling as if I'd sold out a concert myself just by singing the music that I love doing. And uh, next thing you know, we're smashing it. We you know we had we did a big theatre tour. Well, we did loads with, of you with, with Mike Taylor, yeah. uh, who's a good friend of our family, and, and lots of personal appearances as well by. UK yeah, garage artists. UK, you know, and we started working with people that I'd bought their records when I was 12 years old, like DJ Luck and MC8. Yeah. Like, you know, I was a massive fan of, of them guys. And yeah. going back six years ago, now I'm actually friends with them. Yeah. It's, it's mad. Like, and I've been out for dinner with them and people like MC Kai. And Baby D. Baby D, like, Let Me Be Your Fantasy. Yeah. That was a number one hit back in the 90s. Like, there's people that come to our events now and they relive that moment you can see them standing there with their eyes closed when that music starts and she sings and she she still sings amazingly yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. it's, she's so lovely too she is and it's such a big business now though like since the pandemic we've had we must have had 15 20 new promoters come out of the woodwork doing garage events and club classics yeah. it's interesting because uh, you go back to where how it started in the keys and stuff and i, I can remember coming to Margate, mm. seeing the theatre, yeah. the Pavilion Margate. That was one of the first shows we did in a, in a theatre. Which was absolutely... It was electric. It was unbelievable. And it, it was like, do you know what it was like? It was like being in a super club in Ibiza. That was what was cool about it. It was like where we were doing theatres. You know, when Mike, when I first sat down with Mike Taylor, he was like, I really like what you're doing with this show me love thing. Would you and Lewis be interested in doing like a theatre tour? He said, because obviously he's got all the big theatres. Mm. So it's like, you, you know, would you like to... Uh, would you like to put it in some of the bigger theatres? He said, we can take out all the seating so it's standing. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, them big clubs in Ibiza and all that that have got huge big ceilings and you just feel like you're in arenas. I just thought, you know what, we can create exactly the same thing as that in a, in a theatre. And like you said, John, you come to that Margate one and the atmosphere was just electric. Mm. And it was so good. I and mean, I think we had about 1,300 people that night. Mm. And it's just built ever since. It's been amazing. I mean, we're now up to like 30,000 followers on Facebook. Mm. We always pretty much sell out our events. We've done amazing things. We've moved on to brunches. We've sort of done theatres. We've done outside garden parties. And now we're doing, you know, we're looking at doing our, obviously we're following through of our festival that we were supposed to put on last year. Mm. Those brunches were nuts, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they were unbelievable. <laughs> so it's good because the brand obviously covers so much rather than just being a club promoter. Yeah. You know, we, we cover so many different areas. And the good thing, I'm glad we persisted with the genres that we were doing and not just focused on one genre is because... There's so many more people that we can put on the show, and we love to put headlines on our our lineups. That's why our our brand is popular, because we bring through the right people as well, yeah. and yeah. people that you know, like you said, Baby D, massive massive name from the nineties. Yeah. People still come out and rave to her now. 
And the good thing about our brand is we, we could have a 20-year-old young lady there and she would have a 50-year-old mum with her. Yeah, it's generational, it's isn't wicked. it? It's yeah. wicked. Yeah, it's wicked. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about it more and than And the anything. energy of the shows is just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, and absolutely amazing. And, and that's what we try to do, you know, with a lot of brands, they only have DJs, whereas I sing on the, on the shows. Yeah. We have the live elements of the sax and the bongos and violins and we have dancers and we just really make it a proper show. So it is a show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I feel like, you know, it, it's harder sometimes to put that in the smaller venues that we do, but we still seem to put it across. Going back to producing is the way I produce the show because I am a singer. I really push the live element of the show, and that's why it probably makes us a bit different to other to other clubbing brands yeah. around the UK. So, yeah, fingers crossed, it's still going really well. We've we've come out the other side of the pandemic, and it's been really positive since. Yeah, and uh, we've got some really cool things on the go. So, yeah. happy with that. How do you see the future for you? For me, well, I, I mean, I'd like to carry on doing weddings because I love it. You know, I love being able to provide entertainment for the biggest day of someone's life. You know, for me, a lot, of, a lot of pressure for that, though, Tony. Isn't there it? is, yeah. yeah, but I don't seem to feel it because I, I because I enjoy it so much and I'm experienced in doing it. Yeah, it's just like clockwork. I suppose if someone walks into their office job and they sit at their computer, they know exactly what they're doing. Whereas it's exactly the same format for me. So every you're, time. you're a well-oiled machine. I am to a certain extent, but at the same time, I love to make it personal. Yeah. So, you know, I don't just see bride and grooms as a machine of people coming through my life. I, nine times out of 10, will make friends with the bride and groom. I'll bring it to a personal yeah. level. You know, like a lot of the bride and grooms in the last sort of 10 years I've been working with, have come to other events that I've yeah. done or they've used me for recommendations kids christening and, or something yeah. I did one I did a christening for a couple the other week and I did their wedding five years ago fantastic and it was amazing it was lovely to see them all again and you know and the good thing is about weddings is you could be at a wedding with 100 people yeah. and it could be two people there that end up using you for a wedding or a party so you're constantly still seeing people over the years which is lovely yeah. and that's why I, I like to keep it personal I remember being at a posh do once and uh, there's a couple of singers there, brilliant singers. Yeah, and they 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 came over to ask about uh, their wedding. They wanted to use them for their wedding, but they weren't free. Yeah. So I said, "Oh, I, I know someone that might be might be good for you." Yeah. And I mentioned your name. I don't know if you remember them. And they uh, well, they they come and see. I do everything. remember them. You do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. come and see everything you do. I yeah. think now. Yeah, they do. And that, and that's again what I'm saying. It's like they literally like was the loveliest people they were lovely i do remember and that was at uh, quondam park so you saying that to me like that's how my memory works it's like a machine so john will mention that that couple that he's talking about uh, mr and mrs sweeney if i remember rightly this is how it comes back to me so (laughs) i it's mad because i can meet a couple that i did four years ago and it will be like it just all clicks back into place and i remember where i did their wedding what? Where's the most exotic yeah. wedding venue that you've Well, uh, you've well I've, I've been lucky enough to do stuff in, in places like Santorini and M- Mykonos, which have got these just amazing sunsets and these beautiful Lovely. mountains and stuff like that. But then I've also been at some of the most amazing places in the UK, like pe- places like Blenheim Palace and things like that. You know, these places look unbelievable yeah. when you pull up. The venues just surprise me all the time. There's still venues that I've... I've play out in Essex now for, for weddings that I'm still I've never even been to whereas there's some venues that I might be at like 10 times in that year mm. 
Yeah, I'd say Italy's nice as well for weddings. That's mm. that's I've done some amazing places there. Look like something out of the Gladiator, you know, with the uh, <laughs> the big, uh, you know, all the just big driveways and the big brick and you know the stone buildings and stuff. Unreal. But yeah, that's one thing I'm very lucky with the job. I get to travel all over the world, and it's only since last year that that stopped me a little bit. But it will be coming back. You so, know. so people listening to the podcast. And hearing you for the first time and hearing about you, where would you tell them to contact you? Because, well, I mean, the thing is, this day and age, you've got to move with, with, with social media. And at the moment, Instagram is probably the biggest platform. Yeah. Facebook has always been there still. I used to put a lot of stuff on my YouTube, but over the last few years, I've just been so busy that I've not actually had a chance to put, like, because I used to do this thing every week where I'd put up a cover every week, I'd be in the studio. And then, you know, life just takes over. And then the day off that you get, you take your little boy to the aquarium or you've got to make time for your family as well. And unfortunately, with me, when I first met my missus, I was very, very work-driven and and sort of like music comes first, music comes first, music comes first, because it was always something that I'd just been brought up with. With Denny, your son, are you going to go down the same route? I'd love to, yeah. yeah. Well, I need someone to pass the equipment <laughs> on to. Because I've spent so much money on gadgets and equipment. A new studio, um, so... My new studio, yeah, that I built in lockdown was sort of an extension of my other studio I used to have. But then, obviously, Denny came along. Yeah. And my wife was working in London every day at that point. So um, I was in the studio every day. And she was in London every day. So that part of my life, you know, back in sort of 2017, 18, I was getting to spend so much time in the studio yeah. because my wife was obviously going to work at eight in the morning, getting in at six, seven at night. Mm. So in between my clients, that's when I used to really sort of focus on all my remixes and the dance music and all that. And that's how I sort of got onto Radio 1 and Capital and all of that sort of stuff. It was crazy, but it was just focus. If you've got time, you can you can do anything. Yeah. But you've got to have the time, and it's trying to fit it all in. Yeah. And you know, I've been out of the remix game now for probably about a year and a half. I haven't actually made a remix. So for what? That long. Tell me what a remix is, because in layman's terms, yeah. So I, a I remix, need to understand what. Yeah, one is. A remix or a mashup, something like so. So basically, you've got two different things. So a remix of a song is basically where you know, say like Luther Vandross, "Never Too Much," for instance. So you take that song, and if you can find an a cappella of that song, which is just obviously Luther's voice on its own, you will then build a whole brand new track around it. Right. So all you're doing is you're taking the original and you're flipping it and you're putting your own stamp on it. But where, it does, where would you find an a cappella version? You've got lots of different platforms online where you can now pay a subscription and get hold of a cappellas. Um, the only thing is with things like Luther and stuff, it's quite sought-after stuff, so... The only way I've ever found that's, you know, making an acapella like that is by having different pieces of software that can actually strip vocals out of a track. There's always a way of doing it, but it depends how clean it sounds. You're never going to get it as clean as that studio master, Mm. whereas you just solo off loofah and then bounce it out. But you, you were making inroads into the remix charts. It was crazy. It was was just like 17 and 18. Like I said, I had this studio... And I was recording people on a daily basis. They were coming in and they were doing, you know, recording tracks or they would be coming in. I used to run a service where I'd do YouTube videos for people. So, you know, we had a nice backdrop drop for them and they would come and sing some songs. We'd film it and then I'd edit it all, all up mm. after. And then, uh, yeah, they used to pay for that sort of thing with me. So 
Um, we did that, but then in between my clients, I was literally sitting there playing about with the computer, and I just started remixing as a hobby at first. It became a hobby. It was like, I see other people around me, because obviously being a DJ out there, I was playing a lot of remixes all the time. Because yeah. you'll get songs that you'll like, you'll love the original, but then you'll hear a remix come out, and it just freshens it up a little bit. Yeah. If it's good, it freshens it up. And I had a couple of people that I was really into, remix-wise, and I was loving their stuff. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to start messing about of it. So I'm sitting there, I've grabbed a couple of acapellas online, and then I just started making stuff. And, you know, I started off, and it was basic at first. And then it was just because I was sitting there every day for two years. I catapulted quickly. You were into, nominated for an award as well. Yeah, I was nominated for, you know, a massive remix award in Miami in America. And and I've I've actually earned... You know, I've probably earned over £10,000 remixing now for record labels that have come to me and said, oh, we heard your remix on Capital FM for this artist. Could you remix this artist for us? Uh, and then they send you all the stems and you basically redo the music. Oh, incredible. Um, mm. And, yeah, and they give you sort of different sounds that they want to go for, different feels. But, yeah, it was just from a hobby, it sort of become another part of my business do you think you'll get back into it sorry 100 percent, i will do but it's just like i said time again you know my son came along yeah. at the, you know july 2018 and got to think my wife has already had 10 years of sitting indoors on her own every weekend mm. because <laughs> i've been out working and it sounds dreadful it does sound dreadful but there again in the week we have quite a normal life it's yeah. nice do you know what I mean we, yeah. we go out and we do nice things or we go you know we go shopping or do whatever she wants to do because I feel like you know she needs her time and she needs her time with me yeah. and she needs normality because with what I do it, it does come to a point where people only ever go to her how's Tony how's Tony doing what, what's Tony up to it's not about like oh how are you yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's always about how's Tony, mm. and it's like sometimes I feel like you know I feel bad in that in that respect because I feel like you know it's it's sort of like for her it's just all about me all the time. It's all about Tony. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and and I don't mean it to be like that. It's just the way it is because you know I've just the level that I've I've pushed myself to. But yeah, I, I love the normality of you know in lockdown it really changed my perspective of life Did in it? general. Yeah. I was so work-driven. I, I suppose where I'd worked so hard for so long mm. and I'd climbed the ladders and I'd climbed all these amazing heights and I, I was earning really decent money and stuff like that. And you just live to your means, don't you? You just sort of, you know, you, you buy nice watches, you buy nice cars or you strive for that better house or something like that. And we all have accounting software so we know how much we're earning. We, we look at all of these things that we're going to do and I just bought a new house in January, so it sort of all just fell at the wrong time for me. And yeah, went from sort of being the biggest year of my life to ending up spending a fortune of my own savings because the way I unfortunately like run my business at the time, which is supposedly the most tax-efficient way, which an accountant would say, mm. I was one of the unlucky people that couldn't get any grants or furlough. So I just worked my way around it. You know, I even went out and delivered parcels for Yodel for six months because... That's what I had to do. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, there was no way I was going to let my wife or son down just for my pride of me being Tony Roberts, the successful person that I'd built myself up to be. There's no pride in an empty wallet. At the end of the day, it's a good saying that my dad mm. said to me ages ago. But I think the most hardest part was at first was accepting that that was it. For the time being, you're not a singer or a DJ. You've got a normal life for mm. the minute. You've got to crack on and do something else. And I just had to adapt and I had a, 
a white van sitting out there. So I just thought, I'm going to go out, do that. And then a couple of my friends, Lewis started up a farm shop. So I was helping him with stuff and just trying to keep myself busy because obviously where I'm always working, coming down to a crash of nothing was really hard for me to accept. Mm. But I mean, the only benefit from the whole thing that happened was I got to spend a year and a half with my wife and son, which was amazing. And I, I will never, ever be able to get that back. Yeah. So that's one thing I'm thankful for. I see my son develop in so many areas that I would never have seen. I haven't really spoke about it, but we nearly lost one of my brothers to mm. COVID Gosh. in March last year. So we went through a bad time as a family. Within the space of a week of him contracting COVID to him nearly dying from COVID, it wasn't all that stuff that I had on my shoulders with the, with the work. Then that happened with my brother. And then it was just like moving house. It was just one thing after another. How is he now? So he's he's all right. He, I mean, he, he's suffering with that long COVID that people are talking about. And because he was one of the first people to contract it in his area, he actually um, has to go back every now and again for tests and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. I think they monitor and, and sort of see if it's changed in any way or changed them in any way. Because let's face it, no one really knew what they were dealing with at no, the time. No, they didn't. No. And I think that's why when my brother was in hospital, it was so like, oh, he's all right, one minute. And then it was like, you're going to have to all come on a Zoom call and say goodbye. And really? We were like, that's exactly how it happened. And we were like, Gosh. how are we supposed to do that? How can you go on a Zoom call, 12 of us all on different screens? Yeah. My brother's in the middle and like, you know, put you in a, like, a comatized state. So he couldn't reply to any of us. But we were like, there's no way we're saying goodbye to him. So we, we really was all just giving him a, a bit of encouragement to pull through this and, and I never, thank I, you, I, God, that he did. Yeah, I mean, obviously I knew that that was uh, common in a lot of cases, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. But I didn't know you'd gone through that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, but I just didn't want to... I didn't really talk about it much with many people. But mm. there again, we didn't really see many people. Like, if you think about it, there's a lot of us that no were real. close before this. Mm. We'd see each other like... I mean, even with you guys, I'd probably see you guys every couple of weeks or something yeah. like that, mm. you know, once a month, and and you don't see anyone for a year and a half. Yeah. So it's quite easy to just sort of brush over that stuff, and then when you see each other again, it's all positive. And that's all we're trying to do, isn't it? It's, it's sort of live more of a positive lifestyle yeah. and try and get back to some sort of normality with everyone. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, we seem to be moving in that direction yeah. a bit yeah. better now. Entertainment is appearing to open up in most places what are your plans what are you doing so plan wise i mean obviously i just had to reschedule over 60 odd weddings because of covid 2020 was massive like i was so busy yeah i had 18 19 weddings abroad that have been rescheduled to next year because of all this still with the stuff with pcr tests and stuff like that and yeah 60 odd normal sort of english weddings that we had to move so that's why since we've been open for about sort of three months now i've been doing four or five weddings a week oh my god Tony. so it's going from nothing to being flat out again is where it's been really tiring mm. and lucky enough as i mentioned earlier with my voice that's held out Brilliant. It's just physically, you feel so tired. And it's getting to nine o'clock, I'm watching TV with my wife. And she turns around and I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> so, at the minute, it's just trying to catch up on sleep. because, And, and that's why I've had, recently I've had to sort of look into getting someone to come and help me. A, like, you know, a new sort of uh, roadie tech guy that's, that's you know, that I've been taking around me. Because the thing is with me, where it's great that I do offer that all-day package... 
I then, a lot of kit. Yes, a lot of stuff. And also, I'm leaving my house at sort of 8, 9 in the morning. And then I'm not getting in till 2 or 3 o'clock the next morning. Then I'm back up again at like 8 o'clock again. So by the end of that four days of doing weddings, I've probably had a combined total of about 12 hours sleep. Which is no good for your voice. No good at all. No good at all for your body and all that. And, you know, with me, I'm back into my training again and my dieting and stuff like that. And, you know, I couldn't do it in the lockdown. I just wasn't mentally there to do it you've got to be in a good place to be you know eating healthy and eating right because i feel like if you eat right you feel better mentally as well you know if you're eating rubbish all the time you just feel you feel like which is that which crap. is you can do, end up doing if you're on the road yeah. and yeah it takes time it takes to time. prepare stuff that's the, yeah. that's the only problem with being on the road so much it's you've got to keep your energy levels up because if you you're not eating right you're, you're going to feel terrible yeah and just trying to get back into the gym as well. Just just been doing that. I've just been before I come here actually today, so I feel because you were very, working out. With, you were working out with Arge for a while, weren't you? I was. I was. Yeah, we did boot camps together, and we did every. We've always both struggled with our weight. I mean, Arge Arge's always been a person to struggle with his weight, and so have I um, to a certain extent. And I think for me, more than anything, it's my work and the way that I live my life is just very very hectic. I'm, I'm every, everywhere at the right, you know, mm. at different times. So. For me, when I've got time, and, uh, you know, say like I'm not as busy in the winter, I can focus a lot more on going shopping once a week, getting a lot of the right stuff and just cooking it up and sort of just being better with my choices and just makes you feel so much better. But, yeah, he he recently had an operation, which is common knowledge. You know, he had a gastric sleeve and he's lost like nine stone in, um, I think it's only about six months, you know. But it was also crazy for me to see him, like I was going around his house and we'd um, order some food. And he'd take about three mouthfuls of this food. Whereas I'm used to watching him eat about three or four dishes of stuff because he's got a big appetite. And he'd go, oh, I can't eat any more of that. And I'm like, what? And he's like, <laughs> the first time I was so shocked. He literally had about three pieces of chicken, about three scoops of rice. And he went, oh, I can't eat any more of that. And he pushed it away. And I was like, that's unbelievable. And he's like, I just... He said, "I just feel full, like you know that when you've yeah stomach's when right. you've, you know when you've yeah. um, when you've you stuffed yourself, yeah. didn't you? And you've got to that point, and you just feel uncomfortable." He yeah. said, "That's how I feel after three mouthfuls." Gosh. So it's unbelievable how that completely changes for you, where they obviously shrink your stomach down. But yeah, it's worked for him. I mean, he looks amazing now. But for me, I still feel like I've got another go in my locker where I can do it without doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I've done it. I've done it three times now. The only reason why it pushed me back towards this was, was number one, I put on a lot of weight in lockdown just through a mental state of not being in control of my work and mm. and everything like that. Comfort. So much stuff going on. It, it is comfort. Yeah, you, you eat to get through things and, you, you know, you're sitting there watching a lot of TV through lockdown yeah. and just comfort eating. And then the other thing was, you know, 2018, I had quite a bad car accident that really damaged the bottom of my back for about a year. Mm. I couldn't train. Since I've been 16, I've really been into my gym. I loved going to the gym. Even when I was, I know, for a big person, I'm quite fit, you know what Mm. I mean? So I was going like four, five, six times a week, I'd go to the gym. I love it. Having that taken away from me for a whole year, I was just like, physiotherapy, she was just like, you know, really advise against you training. Do not do any training. You can just about go swimming, but just don't overdo it. Um, So for a whole year, it was so hard for me to focus on just eating right and not training. Because I just feel like when I'm training, it makes me want to eat better because I just feel so good when I come out of that gym. Mm. 
you know, and I don't really do too much weights anymore. It's mainly cardio. But you, mm. after you've given it a good blast of half an hour on the treadmill or the cross trainer, you feel so much better when you come out. Mm. Just changing it, drinking more water instead of fizzy drinks again, and just all stuff like that. I know what I've got to do. I've had a lot of good personal trainers over the years as well, but it's just getting to that point where you're ready again to do it. Yeah. And now I am. So I've come out the other side of the worst part, I'd say, of my life. That you know, last year was really rough for me but now i'm back to being positive we've got a lot of good stuff coming through and i just want to keep doing more of what i'm doing and do you think like like all of us i suppose you appreciate your career and everything you've got more now yeah, family I, everything i've always appreciated it so much anyway like I, it, for me being able to do what i do for a living i'm so lucky yeah. like, i love it do you know what i mean and, and the platforms that i've had in the the people that I work with, and I just really enjoy it. Well, but you are a spectacular yeah. performer, Tony. We've, well, uh, I try. You know. Thank you, guys. <laughs> no, you are. You're a one-off. Yeah, Absolutely. no. I, I think with anyone though, you just got to really enjoy what you're doing, and, and well, it shows. Yeah, like, you know, there's another good saying: if you, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. I've known you nearly twenty years now. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It's mental, isn't it? Yeah, and, well, it's, and it's I've actually, seen John. It's not twenty. It's, it's eighteen. About, it's about eighteen, 18. seventeen. Stop I'm trying to put of... years on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already bad. I'm already feeling bad that I got I to know, thirty-five. I know, but it's nearly twenty. It could yeah, be. It yeah, is, I mean, it it's, is. it's just no, it's it's extraordinary. And what's your journey through? Those yeah, and it was time. like mad, wasn't it? How you was uh, at the time? He was like, "I need you to come and sing down at the casino." At the time, I was only seventeen. When I so, so you sang there the day after your birthday. It was. Yeah. It was the day after my birthday. Yeah. So much has happened since then. It's easy to forget what you've done, but it's also when you reflect on it that's why I love doing stuff like this because it actually reminds me again of how lucky I am to have done what I've done and it also makes me remember stuff that I've even forgotten it's just really really nice to be able to do this but no I'm, I'm very lucky and uh, and I, f- I thank my family and my mum and dad every day for that sort of thing yeah. and they are my biggest fans so they are. I'm very very lucky they are thank you so much for coming in today and talking to us i've thoroughly enjoyed it it's been wonderful talking to you thank you much love mate yeah it's been lovely to be here for you guys it's nice nice to actually have a proper chin (laughs) wag that's good thanks so so much tony roberts that brings us to the end of today's podcast we hope you enjoyed it and if you did please like subscribe and tell your friends for further information please visit us at www.needlefishgroup.co.uk.